Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. Our scripture text will come from chapter 2, and the text verse will be verse 13. You know, today's message will be one that encourages us and I believe motivates us into greater action. You know, frequently we think of the men and women that we read about in the Bible as some sort of supernatural super saints where they had halos around their heads and they were so holy that their feet didn't even touch the ground. The reality is, as the Bible demonstrates, they were just flawed humans with the same fears and the same biases that we have. But it's not what we can do, but it's what God can do through us that's so encouraging. I hope that you enjoy this message entitled, Look What One Person Can Do. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Message this morning will be topical and hopefully one of encouragement and direction to our church family for the day and age in which we live. One verse of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. The title of the message today is It Only Takes One. Again, today I'll preach a topical message, one that I hope will be an encouragement. And I'm going to begin the story with a, uh, well, excuse me, I'm going to begin the message with a story that we're all familiar with, the story of Jonah. And you'll see where we go and why I've chosen this as my topic Assyria was an arch enemy of Israel. For decades, they had been threatening the northern kingdom, gaining control of lands that once had been under the control of the northern kingdom. Jonah was called by God and began his ministry early in the reign of a king named Jeroboam II. As a matter of fact, the scripture records that Jonah had prophesied that Israel would expand its territory and push back against the Assyrian expansion. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 and 25, it gives us this historical record. And in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, he being the king in the south, Jeroboam, the son of a different Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom. And he reigned 40 and 1 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Geth-Hefer. So Jonah had prophesied that this expansion of the northern kingdom would happen, and it did. Assyria was involved in internal struggles. This allowed Israel to push back. But it was at this time that God called Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria. Now, folks, Jonah was a prophet of God, but he was also a patriot. And Jonah knew what God was up to, and he didn't want to go. He didn't want Nineveh to be spared. So Jonah attempted to impose his will against God, and he went the other direction. 
attempting to sail as far away from Nineveh as he could. Of course, you know the story. Jonah wound up in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, and then God called him again, and this time he saw things God's way. And uh, he went to this great city called Nineveh, and he began preaching that God was going to destroy them in 40 days. Now, the Bible says that from the least of the kingdom unto the greatest, even the king himself repented of their sin fasted and prayed and sat in sackcloth and ashes mourning for their past transgressions and the bible tells us that god spared the city perhaps the greatest revival in the old testament occurred in less than six weeks hundreds of thousands of people were saved from certain judgment what did it was it a citywide campaign was it a great church of a thousand people was it a busload of missionaries no it was just one man that he was obedient to God's call and he did what God had commanded him to do and he carried the message that God told him to carry and that was enough to save several hundred thousand people that were on the brink of destruction now you might say oh but pastor that was Jonah that was a great prophet of God oh he was the perfect preacher God couldn't use just anybody to do great things well let's consider And make three observations about this prophet Jonah. First point I want to make to you is Jonah was unwilling. Now God said go and Jonah said no. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the idea that the men and women we read about in the Bible were some sort of superhuman super saints. They weren't. They were real people, just like you and me. They had real feelings and real failings. They had real fears and real biases. They got tired. They got sick. They had doubts about their own abilities. But God still used them, even in the weakness of their humanity. Let's consider some of these super saints that God has used. Consider Moses. Moses was 80 years old. How many of you are 80 or greater? How many of you would like to be called to a new mission field at the age of 80 to lead 2 million people out of captivity? He was 80 years old. For 40 years he'd been living in the wilderness caring for his father-in-law's sheep when God appeared unto him in the burning bush and said, Moses, I've chosen you to go out and to lead my people Israel out of captivity in Egypt. Folks, Moses hadn't read the book of Exodus. It hadn't been written yet. He was living it. Now, did Moses say, God, you've chosen the right man for the job? Uh Uh-uh. Moses said, no. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm old. I'm a shepherd. I'm a nobody. Who am I to go and stand up to Pharaoh? Who am I to lead Israel out of Egypt? Then he made more excuses. Bible says in Exodus 4, 1, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they won't believe me. It's a waste of time. They're not going to listen to my voice. And he had even more excuses in chapter 4, verse 10. He said, oh Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy prophet, but I'm slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Folks, does that sound like someone who was brimming with overconfidence to you? Does it sound like a man convinced of his own super spiritual ability? Does it sound like he thought he was the man for the job? 
No, it sounds like a man who was afraid, a man that didn't think he could get the job done, but a man that God chose. How many? Just one man to work through and perform so great a work. Consider the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was so great a prophet that Daniel read his writings. He was so great that when Jesus was alive, some thought that Jesus might be the second coming of the prophet Jeremiah. What a man of God he must have been. Well, when Jeremiah was a young man, the Bible says that he was from the tribe of Levi at the age of 20. When one day God spoke to him and said, Jeremiah, I have called you to be a prophet and to preach my warnings and judgments to my people. But guess what? Boy, you talk about a sales pitch. You talk about a great recruiting letter. They aren't going to like your message because they're a stubborn bunch. In fact, your enemies will be your own kings and your own priests and your own people and I'm sure his own local hometown newspaper. What did Jeremiah say? It was about time the pulpit committee called because I'm the man. No, he said, oh, Lord, God, behold, I can't speak for I'm just a child. Lord, I'm too young. Lord, I don't have the experience. Lord, I don't have the education. Lord, I can't. Folks, it doesn't sound like Jeremiah was sold on himself. Sounds like he doubted his own abilities, but he was not considering the God factor. Consider God's call to Ezekiel. Ezekiel had been taken captivity by Babylon in the second captivity. He was now 30, and he was a priest. If he had been back in Jerusalem, he would have had the privilege of ministering in Solomon's temple. Instead, here he is in captivity in Babylon. I can tell you what, these weren't Ezekiel's plans. I think he was a little bit mad. I think he was a little bit mad at God, quite frankly, as you, as you, as you read about his circumstances here. Then God calls him and says, Ezekiel, I've called you to be a prophet unto my people in captivity. You've got an important job to do, but I've got bad news. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to a thing you say. The Bible says that Ezekiel was upset about the whole situation. Look here in chapter 3, verse 14. It says, I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. He was hot. He was angry. He wasn't happy about this new calling. But God revealed to him through the spiritual bankruptcy of his people and his heart was bro- about the spiritual bankruptcy of his people and his heart was broken over them. And although this was not the job that he wanted, God put his words in his mouth and he answered the call to ministry to those in captivity. Ladies and gentlemen at Fairview, it's not why you can't, but why can you? And here's why. It is Christ in you. Moses said, I'm too old and unimportant to be your spokesman. But God said, you have my power and not yours. Throw down your stick and let me show you what I can do. Hey, remember that speech you're talking about? Remember, I'm the one that made your mouth. And God took one man, this 80-year-old shepherd from the backside of the desert with no power, with no wealth, with no special skills, and defeated the most powerful ruler in the world and led Israel to freedom. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. I don't have the education. Jeremiah said, I can't. But God said, I can. And he said specifically, don't be afraid of their dirty looks. Don't be afraid of the situation. I am with thee to deliver thee. 
I have put my words in your mouth, and I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And Jeremiah preached righteousness and bore the revilement from his own people through the reigns of two kings, the conquest of a city, and even was there to minister to the remnant after Jerusalem was destroyed. Ezekiel said, I'm pouting. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be in Jerusalem working in the temple. This is a thankless job. It's a pointless job anyway. But God broke his heart and put his words in his mouth and used him to reveal to us the great watchman on the wall sermon, the great valley of dry bones, the battle of Gog and Magog, and gives us the most detailed description of the millennial temple anywhere in the Bible. Jonah said, my heart's not in it. I don't want them to be spared. But even with that attitude, all God needed was obedience to the call. And look what God can do when his word is preached. Folks, it's not our eloquence. It's not our intelligence. It's not our charisma. Listen to this statement. This may be the most important statement I've ever shared to you after telling you how to be saved. It's not our strength. It's not even our confidence level. It's not even whether our heart is in it or not. It's our faithfulness to be obedient to his call and to speak the word of God in truth without compromise. And then you just watch and see what God can do. Point number two. Jonah was imperfect. We've long seen these Renaissance paintings of the apostles with the halos above their heads. Or prophets with their feet slightly elevated as if they weren't touching the ground. No, these were men with like passion and shortcomings just as we have, yet God used them mightily. God called and Jonah said no. In fact, he bought a ticket and boarded a ship to go the other direction. And God sent a storm to get his attention and he said no again. He was even willing to die by being thrown overboard before he was going to obey God and go to Nineveh. You talk about stubborn. You talk about a battle of wills. This man was a prophet of God? Yes, he was. This man was a prophet of God. And he had his faults, but Jonah willfully disobeyed God and ran the other way, and God still used him. He gave him a second chance and even a third chance. And then he obeyed and went and evangelized Nineveh and speak God's word and look what God could do through this one man. Moses had failed by the age of 40. He spent 40 years on the run as a shepherd before God called him to rescue Israel as an 80-year-old man, even battling fits of anger and depression as you read about his leading the Israelites uh, through uh, the wilderness. But God used him to shepherd his people for 40 years and to bring them to the front door of the promised land. Consider that Rahab of Jericho had been a harlot. Yet she became a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and became the great-great-grandmother of King David and in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Look what God can do with just one person, one imperfect person, might I add. Matthew had been a traitor to Israel. 
The scripture says that he was a publican, a Jew that was working as a tax collector for the Roman government and oppressing his own people. Yet Jesus saved him and called him to be a disciple. Paul had been a murderer of Christians, yet called to be an apostle and evangelize the Gentile world. Peter had denied the Lord three times in one night, even after boasting that although everybody else might betray you, but Lord, I never will. Yet even in his own betrayal, God still chose Peter to deliver the keynote address at Pentecost and then used Peter to open the door of evangelism to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Ladies and gentlemen, God is not looking for perfect people. He is looking for obedient people who will respond to his call and do his will. Folks, it's not our power, but Christ in us. Point number three. God was not dependent upon Jonah's beauty, but his. You know, there are stories in history of men that have survived being swallowed by fish. There's a story from February of 1891 about a man named James Bartley, who was a whaler on the Star of the East, while near the Falkland Islands was lost overboard while chasing a sperm whale. Crew eventually caught and killed the whale, and they found Barkley inside, unconscious, but alive. History says that he recovered in three weeks and resumed his duties, but his skin was bleached white like parchment. There was another story of an English sailor who fell overboard and was swallowed by a fish. They say that a day or two later, the fish was seen floating on the surface of the water. He was taken ashore. When it was opened up, the sailors found their shipmate alive. Again, he survived this experience, but his skin had turned a chalky white, and it remained so for the rest of his life. Imagine what Jonah had looked like. This man comes into town, a Jew no less, someone that they would have had a racial bias against anyway, perhaps bleached white or with splotchy skin, Perhaps not a hair on his body as it had been burned off from the digestive juices from being inside this fish. What a sight Jonah must have been. Yet he proclaimed the word of God and the heart of the city was changed. Look what God can do with one person. God took an 80-year-old shepherd and delivered a nation. God took a rebellious prophet and saved a city. God took a 20-year-old nobody and prophesied to kings. God took a backwoods prophet out of the sticks of Judah named Amos to go and preach at the king's temple in Israel. God took a small-town prophet named Micah to turn the heart of King Hezekiah and lead a great revival in Judah. God took a preacher that had denied Jesus three times in one night and 50 days later preached a sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 were saved. God took a harlot of Jericho and through her lineage came the Messiah. God took a run of the litter, a shepherd boy no less, from the hills of Bethlehem and slew Goliath with him and made him the king over his people. Look what God can do with just one person. I don't know about you, but I get encouraged by this. God took a 17-year-old shoe clerk with an 8th grade education named Dwight L. Moody. And through him, he preached to presidents and prime ministers, to generals and British royalty, and over one million people came to Christ under his preaching. A man with an 8th grade education 
Look what God can do. God took a washed up drunken center fielder for the Chicago White Sox named Billy Sunday and saved him. And with eight borrowed sermons, he preached his first revival at the age of 34. Ten million people heard him preach, and over a million people came to Christ and under his ministry. Folks, look what God can do. God took a young lady that had been blinded as an infant named Fanny Crosby, and she wrote more than 9,000 songs, including Blessed Assurance, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Jesus is Tenderly Calling You Home, Praise Him, Praise Him, Rescue the Perishing, and to God be the Glory. Look what one person can do when God is involved. Let me share with you an amazing testimony as to what one man can do when God is working. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher at his little church in Boston. And he was concerned about the salvation of his class. And one day on April the 21st, 1855, he walked into Holton's shoe store to visit with one of his students There he found this young man named Dwight L. Moody, again a 17-year-old shoe clerk working in the back, and Mr. Kimball led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with the name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher who personally went to every student in his class and led each of them to Christ. The message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist just like Moody. Over the years, Meyer came to America, and while speaking in Northfield, Massachusetts, a young preacher heard Meyer say, If you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. Brother Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. A volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped to set up his crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman and by listening to Chapman. Billy Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dynamic evangelists in the 20th century. And as I said a little while ago, Billy Sunday preached live, didn't have all the television in that day, preached live to over 10 million people and had over 1 million walk the sawdust trail and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. It was under, excuse me, Sunday's preaching that America got a conscience about alcohol and actually outlawed liquor for a decade in America. Folks, that is a supernatural revival. Inspired in 1924 uh, by a Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christians dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. The group invited a friend of Sunday's, an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham, to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. Sitting in the crowd was a 16-year-old young man, spellbound by the message this white-haired preacher gave each evening the preacher seemed to be shouting see I'm not the only one (laughs) seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at the young man 
Night after night, the teen came, and finally he went forward and gave his life to Christ. That teenager was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in history, and it all started with a Sunday school teacher named Kimball. Millions have been affected by his decision to go into that shoe store and share Christ with one person, and millions will continue to feel his impact. Folks, look what God can do with one person willing to be obedient. It just takes one person to be used for God's greatness. Folks, it's not your age. It's not your beauty. It's not your eyesight. It's not your education. It's not your eloquence. It's not even your attitude. God needs your obedience to do what He's called you to do, and then He can do great things through you. Folks, what can God do with you? What kind of difference can you make in your family? What kind of difference can you make in your workplace? What kind of difference can you make in your school? Ladies and gentlemen, recognize that you are God's representative in the world that you live in. You will be around a certain group of five or six or ten people every day, people that I'll never see, people that Brother Jerry will never see, people that, that Charlie will never see, or Doc will never see, or Mike will never see. That is your mission field. What kind of a difference can you make in their life? Perhaps it will be your grandchild that is raised by the son that you raised to love Jesus that will one day lead in the next great awakening that sweeps our country. Perhaps it will be you that goes out on EE one Tuesday night and has the privilege of sharing Christ with the last soul that completes the body of Christ and then God the Father leans over to God the Son and says, Son, go get them. Folks, look what God can do with one person. Ladies and gentlemen, I know what the future holds as we teach through the book of Revelation and as we study the books of prophecy, but I don't know what the immediate future holds. And I don't know, well, let me put it like this. I know that God has called me to pastor this church. And I know that God has called me to try to make a difference. And for some reason, God seems to have prepared me for certain things, including being the center of controversy. Now, folks, let me share with you, I don't find it controversial to say that there is none other way to the Father except through Jesus. Amen. That is the truth. Unless this book is full of lies... And then we have no reason to even be here. We can go play golf on Sunday mornings. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. And we look forward to being with you next time. For the conclusion of this message, look what one person can do.
Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.